This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Matt Woodley and is part three of our Advent 2016 series. When I was in my late 20s, um, I was studying to be a pastor, and I was at a church called Park Avenue United Methodist Church in South Minneapolis. And I was mentored by a guy named Dr. C. Philip Heinerman. But everybody just called him Doc for short. Uh, And in the 70s and 80s, all throughout two, three decades, he was actually at that same church for 35 years, kind of an almost unheard of thing. And uh, Doc had mentored literally hundreds of young men and women as artists and leaders and athletes and uh, all kinds of things. And Doc was somebody who was into racial reconciliation in the church before racial reconciliation was even a thing, before it was a term, before it was a need. And, And Doc would bring together blacks and whites in South Minneapolis and Every Sunday he would just, I remember some of his sermons so vividly, even like 25, 30 years later, he would preach in such a way that it was just like, that people would come streaming to the communion rail, to the altar in that United Methodist Church, black and white, young and old, men and women, and people weeping, and people praying for each other, people coming to know the Lord, and uh, you know, Doc was my hero for decades. And every time he saw me, he would say, you know, Matt, I'm up at 4.30 every morning. I pray for you every day. Every day I pray for you. Well, Doc had to retire when he was 70 years old. It was a forced retirement. He moved to North Carolina, started pastoring a new church. And things did not go well for Doc in that new church. Things actually fell apart. Doc was accused of being lazy. There was a smear campaign because Doc would go home and take a nap every day. Now, I would just like to say, what is wrong with a nap every day? That is a great thing. I take naps every day. No, not quite, but uh, naps are awesome. But they didn't realize that Doc Doc got tired first because he's over 70, and secondly because he's up at 4.30 praying every day. Then the love of his life, his wife Dory was suffering from rheumatoid arthritis. She passed away, and word got back through the grapevine that Doc was profoundly discouraged. And when I heard that news, when I first heard that news, I thought to myself, this can't be happening to Doc. Not Doc. Doc is a rock star. Doc is the prince of preachers. Doc is a man of God. Doc is a spiritual giant. He can't be discouraged. You know, when we read this story in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, that you just heard read, we should be thinking exactly the same thing about John the Baptist. This can't be happening to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a, <clears throat> he's a hero. John the Baptist is a man of God. He's a prophet. This cannot be happening. You know, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 3, John the Baptist was out in the wilderness. People are streaming to him. He is the hottest religious thing in town. People are coming to him. They're repenting of their sins. But he kept pointing to the one who is coming. One who is coming. One is coming, he said. And then Jesus, that one, finally showed up at the Jordan River, and John got to baptize him. John knew that Jesus is the one. And now we fast forward, and here we are in Matthew chapter 11, and I don't know if you caught that in verse 2. John says some of his disciples, and then in verse 2 in Matthew 11 on page 11, he says, ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Are you the one? I thought you knew he's the one. What happened? 
What happened to John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist was imprisoned by a corrupt political figure named Herod for criticizing Herod's regime and his personal moral life. And he was thrown in prison. Now, you've got to understand, this had to have killed John. John's a wild man. John loves the wilderness. He loves the desert. He loves being outside. He loves sleeping under the open night and the stars. He loves eating grasshoppers and wild honey. And now he's in this little tiny cell. There's no open sky. There's no stars at night. There's no wild honey. This had to have killed John's spirit. He is profoundly discouraged. You know, there's an unpleasant secret to the Christian life that sometimes we don't talk about, and that is even the best Christians get discouraged and sometimes even disillusioned. There's a pattern that goes something like this that I've noticed as a pastor for over 20 years and in my own life. It starts like this with a, with a wound. It starts with a wound. Something bad happens. Cancer, child with special needs, a divorce, a job loss, or the dull ache of just unfulfilled desires. And that wound turns into disappointment. You think, life was not supposed to go this way. And that disappointment and that wound, if not healed, if they just get buried in your spirit and your soul, they can turn into cynicism and hardness of heart. You know what cynicism is like? Cynicism is like sprinkling coffee grounds in everything you eat. It's got that kind of gritty, bitter taste. And so everything in life just has that kind of gritty, bitter taste to it. This happens to people. It happens to good Christians. Well, here's the good news in this passage this morning. The good news is that Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is for, not against, the spiritually discouraged and disillusioned. Notice what Jesus does in this passage. He does not say, go tell John he shouldn't feel that way. Go tell John to cheer up. Go tell John life is going to get better. Would you just smile a little bit? He doesn't say that. He acknowledges John's, John's pain, but he also pushes back a little bit. And he serves as his advocate, as he wants to serve as our advocate. And how does he do that? Well, primarily in two ways in this passage. First, he's going to tell John, he's going to tell us, my story, Jesus says, my story is bigger and better than you ever imagined. The story of what I'm doing is bigger and better than you ever imagined. And number two, your role in my story, your part to play in my story, is bigger and better than you ever imagined. Let's look at that first one. My story of what I'm doing in the world is bigger and better than you ever imagined. Look at verse 5. What, do, what was John supposed to, what was the message to John? Just said, go tell John what you hear and see. Verse 5. <clears throat> the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but that's pretty much lifted right from Isaiah chapter 35, our first scripture reading that you heard. Jesus is saying, 
You know, John, that stuff that was prophesied 700 years before I was born about what the Messiah is going to do, about how I'm going to change the world, about how I'm going to redeem this planet, it's happening. It's happening now. And whenever I show up, it can happen all over again. And it's going to come to fulfillment. That's the end of Isaiah chapter 35, which Jesus doesn't quote, but he alludes to it, I think, where he says, they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That can be the end of your story. That is what God is about in your life. It's bigger and better than you ever imagined, John. Well, here's the problem, though. It's not what John was expecting. Back in chapter 3, what was John expecting? He was expecting the Messiah to come like a guy, crazy man, wielding an axe. And he's going to chop down the trees. And he's going to put the dead wood on the fire. And he's going to burn it up. And he's like, let's let it burn, Jesus. I'm waiting for the bonfire. And Jesus is going to say, John, you're partially right. Because there is judgment that's going to come. Judgment will come, but your timing is all off. And so Jesus goes off of John's script. And he says, you know, John, I'm working in the world, but it's not the way you drew up. It's not your plan. My work, my power is being displayed in little places with little people, lost people, marginalized people, broken people, sick people. People that are healthy, but they know how much they need God's grace. And they can't live without it. People desperate for grace. It's hidden. It's slow. And it comes through our weakness. That's my plan for the world. That's what I'm doing in the world. Have you ever been there? You got your life all mapped out. You got your plan. It's going to go here. And you're working your plan, and sometimes it goes there. And isn't that great? But then sometimes life happens, stuff happens, and whoop, how'd I get over here? This wasn't the plan. This wasn't the plan you and I agreed on, Jesus, was it? And Jesus says, uh, well, that was never really my plan. That was your plan. And we're discouraged and we're disappointed. Notice what Jesus says in verse 6. He said, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, why did Jesus say that? You know, we don't say, uh, I hope this doesn't offend you, but I'm going to say, I really don't like your new haircut, you know. Uh, why do we say that? Because we're going to say something probably offensive. Jesus is saying, don't be offended by me because I know I can seem offensive. My plan is not your plan. It doesn't fit into my, your expectations. Jesus is always talking about there's glory and a cross. There's joy and suffering. There's affirmation and transformation. There's strength and power, but it's usually in our weakness. You know, I was talking to a guy who said, he was telling me a story, and he said, you know, the first part of my life was all about an ascent. It was all about going up. I was successful. I was applauded. I was recognized. 
I was at the top of my game. My career was going up in the corporate world. And then my life unraveled. And now I feel like I'm on a descent. Not a descent into humiliation, but a descent into humility. A descent into the way of the cross. I get the way of the cross. I get humility now. And you know what? Nobody really notices. I'm not a rock star anymore. He said, but you know what? When I was on my way up, when I was on my way up that hill, I really didn't have integrity. I really wasn't an honest person. And nobody around me seemed to really flourish, you know? And now that I'm descending on this descent, I am a person of integrity. And God is bringing fruit through my life that I just don't know how it happens. It just pops up everywhere. Stuff's blooming. People flourish, you know? Good things are happening to other people around me. There's fruit. See what Jesus is telling John and us just ever so gently. He's like, John, the story of what I'm doing is bigger and better than you ever imagined, but it's different. It's more joyful, but it's more heartbreaking. It's more, there's more praises and there's more tears. I am putting the world back together, though. I can put your life back together. Stick with me, John. Don't get offended by me. Second thing Jesus says is, so the first thing is my story is bigger and better than you ever imagined. Also, Jesus is going to say, your role in that story of mine is bigger and better than you ever imagined. You know, Jesus could have used this opportunity to publicly shame John the Baptist. You see that? There's a guy who was a man of God. Now he's a loser. Watch out. Lesson learned. Moral of story. But he didn't do that. He actually lavished praise on John when he was at the lowest point in his life. Verse 7, he says, When you went out into the wilderness to watch the John the Baptist show, what did you go to see? Did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind? Did you go to see a human weather vane just turning with the wind? Did you go to see someone who reads the political polls so he can decide how he's going to make decisions? You didn't go see somebody like that. You went to see a man of courage, a man of inner resolve, a man who knew what was right and did the right thing, even when it cost him. Then he says, Jesus says, what then did you go out to see when you went to see John? Did you go to see a man dressed in soft clothing? And then Jesus takes a shot at Herod. He says, behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Did you go to see John with a Gucci suit, $3,000 Gucci suit? No, you saw somebody wearing roadkill, camel hair. Somebody probably cut it and put it on himself. John didn't care about fashion cared about truth. What did you go out to see, Jesus said? You went out to see in verse 9. You said, I tell you, you saw a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. Verse 10, he says, he was the one of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who who will prepare your way before you. He was that guy, that guy promised in the Bible, that guy. He announced my coming. No one has ever done that. And so Jesus says in verse, seven, or verse 11, really remarkable thing about John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, 
there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. No one greater than John the Baptist. And then look at the end of that verse, though. He makes an even more remarkable statement. Jesus says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. When Bishop Stewart and I went to Jos, Nigeria, there was a home for children who were formerly orphans, who have now been adopted by our friend, Archbishop Benjamin Kawashi, and his wife, Mama Glory Kawashi. Sixty children who were formerly orphans, who are now children of Ben, Benjamin, and Gloria. You know, many of these children have experienced profound trauma. Oh, thank you. You're so kind. Who was that man? um, Thank you. Some of these children, 15 of them, 15 to 20 of them, have seen their own parents get murdered before their eyes. Some of them have AIDS. Most of them come from tiny little villages that you couldn't find, that have no cell phone coverage, no, no, no uh, internet coverage. Most of them will go back to those villages. Most of them will never be famous. And yet, Jesus is saying those children that know Jesus are greater in the kingdom of heaven than John the Baptist. How can that be? Well, because something happened in between John and in between us. Events happened. The death, the resurrection of Jesus, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the institution of the church. And if you're in Christ now, you're part of that. So John the Baptist talked about Jesus. But in Christ, Christ is in us. John the Baptist looked forward to a new world. In Christ, the new world has come, and you can become a new creation in him. John the Baptist baptized with the hope of the forgiveness of sin. In Christ, we can know that our sins are forgiven. John the Baptist said, the Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to baptize with, Holy Spirit, with, with fire. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit has come. I've sent it. I've sent him, the Holy Spirit. And even those children in Zambiri can be filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God, as you and I can. You see what the gospel does? It's revolutionary. It takes little people, marginalized people, powerless people, people who have failed, people who have hurt other people, people who struggle in life, People like you and me. And it raises them up. And it says, you are a son or a daughter of the living God. That's how good the gospel is. See, sometimes when hard times hit us, and we feel isolated, and we feel hidden, and we feel unapplauded, and we feel discouraged, it it starts to feel like it's eroding our dignity. And Jesus says, no, your role is, in my work, is more important and more valuable than you ever imagined. You have a greater role than John the Baptist. Wow. Jesus is our advocate. He's an advocate for you when you're discouraged, when you're disillusioned, even when you're cynical. He took John the Baptist at his spiritually worst state 
Not best, not middle, but worst. On John's worst day, and he was his advocate. Now remember who was saying this. This is God in human flesh. This is Emmanuel, the one who was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. The one who walked in our shoes. The one who knows our sorrows. The one who was made vulnerable. The one who came to us as a little baby. It's that one. The one who died for our sins on the cross. Are you discouraged? You ever struggle with discouragement? I just sense some people here today, are you really discouraged with yourself? You're really discouraged with yourself, your behavior, your progress in the Christian life. You're discouraged with all of that. You're disillusioned with yourself. And maybe you're starting to get disillusioned with God. And maybe you're starting to color everything in your life and you're getting cynical. If you're discouraged, Jesus is for you. If you're disillusioned, Jesus is for you. If you're cynical, Jesus is for you. But here's what it requires of you and me. We need to reach out to him. He sent the messengers to us. He sent the messengers in the Bible. He sent the message of the story of John the Baptist. He sent the message of Christians he's brought into your life. He sent the message through the Eucharist. He's sending messages. Would you respond, Jesus says. Call out to him. Turn to him. Open a door to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I am discouraged. I am disillusioned. I am cynical. And I need your help. I can't get out of this by myself. He will come to you if you cry out to him, even in your worst state. He is your advocate. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.